frustrated, undervalued, ignored. That's what some doctors at Grace Hospital say they're feeling. The Manitoba Marathon is this weekend. It's been hot and smoky of late, but a little bit cooler for the weekend, which bodes well for the runners. As you might recall, they had to call the race off after it began last year. We learned today about something called the Rising Tide Challenge. You want to climb the stairs here at 201 Portage eight times in one day? It is to help sick kids with the Dream Factory. And inspired by the dwindling number of pipe organ players in Manitoba, we asked you to tell us about the musical instruments that mystify you. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Thursday, June 15th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And isn't it funny how quickly we adjust to things? It's like two months ago where I was wearing long sleeves and a jacket and jeans and begging for 10 degrees. <laughs> and after the heat that we've already endured this season, for the second morning in a row, it's Hovering yesterday, I think at this time it was 11 or 12. Now it's 9.9 degrees at the Forks, and it's uh, <laughs> it's chilly. It's a beautiful June day. I, I do want to say that, and it was gorgeous yesterday, but I am the person that rolled my windows up because I felt it was cold last night, and uh, my kid had a lacrosse game, and I before it started, I thought, oh, I'll go for a walk. And then I thought, I don't have my sweater. I don't think I can do this. Like, what? I can't go for a walk in my T-shirt and shorts when it's 50? Like, it was... It's bizarre how your body just goes, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah. The it's whole, kind of shameful. It, it, the whole acclimatization thing and how quickly it happens is really bizarre because I don't know the last time I wore a hoodie. I'm wearing a hoodie today. I had to take, because I, I had to roll the garbage carts all the way from my garage to the end of the driveway. So that, uh, that meant I needed to be dressed appropriately. But it is pleasantly cool. It's a, it's a June day that, as you mentioned, Brett, probably in most years, by the time we get around to this time of year, this is exactly what we expect. But we've sort of been working backwards from July and August like temperatures. And so we're already sort of in summer mode. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I mentioned this on the air the other day. Melissa Ridgen in our newsroom had a tomato sandwich the other day. Yes. And I said to her, I said, did you get that from your garden? And, and I mocked you. I was like, garden, Greg. It's like garden. June. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> But it feels like August, and it feels plausible that someone might already have a tomato from their garden because the weather has been just that hot. Yeah, we've got a couple of cooler days by comparison to what we've been experiencing. As you heard, uh, looking for 23 today, 22 tomorrow, and then uh, 23 on Saturday, 21 on Sunday. But it looks like it's going to warm back up next week. Looking for 27 on Monday, 33 potentially on Tuesday. So, uh, but yeah, this is more seasonal. Like the normal low for this time of year is 11 and the normal high is 24. So See, right this now is this is like normal. It. This is normal. Like it. Yeah. And you know what? You know who's probably glad to hear that is that at 7.07, we're going to speak with the folks from the Manitoba Marathon. I had completely forgotten that last year they canceled the marathon a couple hours in because it was too hot. 
Oh, and you yeah. better believe there were people, runners in the last couple of weeks training and all the rest thinking like, is this heat going to stick around for this year's marathon? Because oh. it, it, it killed the race for many of them last year. So we're going to check in with the marathon just after seven because that race goes Sunday, Father's Day, of course. And uh, Father's Day, Sunday, very important <laughs> message. Marathon. <laughs> Fra- no, no. Cooler. Father's Day is Sunday. So don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have your gifts for your dad. If you do a homemade card, get on it now. If you're buying a card for nine or thirty-five dollars, whatever your budget is for the for the for the cards in the store, get on it now. Don't wait till the weekend. It's Father's Day on Sunday. Always been curious about how the Manitoba Marathon ended up on Father's Day, and uh, I'm just gonna say this: I start, I, I feel kind of bad for a lot of the dads who might be going to the marathon, say, to support their kids who want to run the marathon? Because, like, what if dad wants to go golfing in the morning? Forget that. <laughs> what about the kids who have to go support the dad who decided to run in the marathon? they got to get up They don't five. have to. If the dad wants to go run the marathon, they I don't have don't to. Know. They can if just leave the kid at if home. If your dad's in a marathon, don't you have to go cheer that on? I yes. mean, if they've done it 20 times, nah. But yes. if it's their first marathon, I feel like you need to be. Let me tell you this. One day I will run a marathon. No, I won't. But if I ever do, there better be, like, a full you better be there at the end. Forget let it. Al- let alone my kids. Not They're going to be there. No, not right? happening. That's it. I'm running it Sunday. <laughs> I'll be at your you funeral can, then. You'll start it. <laughs> please be heat. Please be heat. We'll please be cancel the, that. We'll marathon. be at the start line, Loren. We, we won't need to <laughs> be no at the finish be line finish. because you won't be there. No, I won't. <laughs> so more on the marathon at 7.05. And by the way, if you, if you have to... If you have to hit the road on Sunday morning, oh, make sure you point. look at the Manitoba Marathon yeah. map because there will be some potentially significant traffic implications. So just plan your morning out accordingly for that, and we'll have more on that at 7.05. Also today, one of the, the things we want to discuss, Loretta, and you put a lot of work into this yesterday, is, uh, well, you got some more information on what's going on at Grace Hospital. So they've been looking for over a year to fill one position. They're down one overnight doctor on their internal medicine ward. This is a ward that helps about 100 patients on average every single day. Some very seriously ill people. They want someone dedicated to that ward at night. Every other hospital in the city in the has that. Grace has not had that for a year. And, and patient safety, as we learned in the spring when they issued this public cry for help, has been compromised. We're going to update the story more at 7.50, but here's the deal. Not only have they not been able to fill just one position. They had just one person apply. They cannot fill this job. But we're learning through a series of emails obtained through an access to information request that government officials all the way up the chain, maybe not as high as Audrey Gordon, but just below her, knew 10 months ago that this was an issue. They were asked 10 months ago for money to create this job. And those requests were ignored for months. So we're going to get more into that at 750. But it raises concerns for me because if we're talking about one job, Greg, that they've struggled to fill. How on earth are we adding 80 physicians, hiring 80 physicians as promised months ago? How are we, to your point, expanding ICUs? Yeah, where are you going to get these resources? And we've discussed all the way through the pandemic, post-pandemic, the idea of proactive versus reactive. I prefer proactive, but how quick is the reaction when a deficiency is found? That's that's equally as concerning. So, Brett, uh, not to change the headline, but maybe it's more about what's not happening at Grace Hospital, something that needs to happen right now, and they just can't get it done.
It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up after Global News at 7 o'clock. Something that Loren has been training for, getting ready to run the Manitoba Marathon on Sunday. In my mind, I have. In my <laughs> mind, I've been training. It reminds me of, I said that line once, I was in a bar after my brother's wedding and the band had taken a break and I went up on stage because the instruments were all sitting there and I was like, I feel like I should just fill in for this band while they're gone. And the bouncer comes up, he's like, excuse me, ma'am, are you even in a band? And I was like, in my mind, I'm in a band. <laughs> So in my mind, I'm a marathon runner. <laughs> Our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com from Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Have you ever ran a marathon or wanted to run a marathon? Haven't thought about it. I've thought about it. I've run one full marathon. I've run multiple marathons. So we're talking about the full marathon, not the half marathon, but the full marathon. Cast your vote at cjob.com. What's your answer? Uh, I haven't thought about it. Never thought about no it. No interest. No interest, Greg. Yeah, I thought about it a couple of times. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that's the extent of it. No it's, interest. It's just one of those things that feels like it would you'd want to do it, and then like you'd get I don't know what twenty minutes in. I don't know what my benchmark would be, and I would be so angry at myself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, like the twelve-minute run we used to have to do as part of football training, and you had to get uh, if you got two miles and under. 12 minutes you you were doing pretty well you were you're in half decent shape right and so that was really the benchmark that was really as far as I ever took it and one of my best friends is a triathlete you know like he's like one of the top five triathletes for his age group in the world oh wow and yeah I just look at him and I go yeah whatever dude (laughs) (laughs) do you want a beer or what there are images of people who have uh, how do I put this? They, they go to the bathroom while they're on their course because they can't stop themselves. They pass out. Oh. They like throw up and they keep running. They're, they're, he has the best. So- he has the best story about training with uh, Lance Armstrong back in the day in Arizona. And it's like, okay, guys, we're having we're taking it easy today. Or when one guy gets off the bike to go to the bathroom, the whole pack stops. They all take a bathroom break. Like they're competing against one each uh, one another, but there's a real brotherhood on on the on the court on the race course. It, it, it's really cool. Some of the stories he has about that back in the day. All right, some more at seven oh five on the Manitoba Marathon. But right now we want to talk a little bit more about something that Sarah touched on in her newscast. They're complex, majestic instruments that send vibrations. Through the bodies of those in their presence. And here in Manitoba, there's a small but dedicated group of people keeping the music alive. Global's Iris Dick has this report. In this small stucco building is a sensational sound. As soon as I hear them, I, I just have a feeling of calmness come over me. Richard Buck's salvaged pipe organ sits in a purpose-built shed on his property. He rebuilt it himself after his career fixing the massive instruments took him and his late partner across Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Northern Ontario. And you can see those leathers that we replaced. A career that began by accident after he fixed some loose wiring in the middle of a lesson. I straightened those little fine wires and they played ever since. And when was that? About 50 years ago. Though he's mostly retired now, he's one of just two people who knows how to service pipe organs in Manitoba, using specialized parts and tools to get the job done. That one there, so 
and it's no simple task. The hundreds, or more often thousands, of wood and metal pipes in an organ are precisely tuned to sing in key. Each one has its own character. Buck's craft takes a number of different skills to master. Carpentry, a musical ear, and knowledge of electronics, as older instruments are converted to digital controls. It's one of the upgrades the organ at All Saints Anglican Church will get this summer, bringing in a Calgary company for a major overhaul. Particularly the kind of work that we need to have done on this instrument now, uh, there's nobody in the province that could handle that. Music director Dietrich Bartel has been playing the organ since he was a teenager. He says Winnipeg's organ community is an active one, but that some of the city's organs are in need of extensive repairs. And while there are some up-and-comers, learning the instrument isn't as popular as it once was. I think the concern of, of many of us is um, where, who, where are the, where's the next generation of organists coming from? Still, he and others in the community hope to keep the music alive. Bucks Partners Estate sponsors organ concerts in Winnipeg, passing the passion along to the next generation. It's a, a treasure to have a pipe organ, and that they should feel privileged and keep it up fully operational. So it's part of Manitoba's musical history. Iris Dick, Global News. We laughed a little off the top there because the first sounds of that organ were what you might remember from horror movies in years gone by. But I was at a wedding uh, in the Basilica in Guelph a few weeks ago and they had the pipe organ playing. And it was amazing how it just changed the mood of everybody in the church because the music was so beautiful. But what's more interesting out of the story is this idea that some musical instruments could go extinct, right? If people stop playing them or don't practice them or there's no places to go to try them. And I was reading this morning online about all the instruments that that genuine musicians are worried about kind of going the way of the dodo bird, like the French horn doesn't have a ton of people trying out for it. The bassoon, which I think is that, is that the long one with the... Yeah. straw sticking out of it, which I know <laughs> is not how you would explain it. Uh, the oboe, my sister played the oboe, and it was terrible in the, the house. The oboe? Yeah. The oboe It was terrible. She was terrible. Sorry. Sorry. But she was, ter- you're, you were terrible. She knows this. But the sound, <laughs> when they're good, is amazing. But if kids aren't playing them, like from a young age, or if they're just not around, or even just access to them, like, I, where would I find a bassoon? Like, most school bands, I don't even know if that was... I don't know if we, yeah, I don't know if we had a bassoon, but those other ones, the oboe and the French horn, for sure, we had in the in the school band. But in the case of these pipe organs, if you've ever been in a church that has one, like the sound, I thought it came through pretty clearly on the report there. But to be like live music, period, dot. To be in the presence in the room where a pike organ is being, it literally goes into you. And some of you might be thinking about the pipe organ that was at the Chicago Stadium when they would play the national anthems. And so that was probably one of the more famous pipe organs in the world once upon a time. And I thought that I'd always thought that they'd moved it to the United Center back in the mid 90s when they moved from Chicago Stadium, like when the Bulls and the and the Blackhawks moved basically across the parking lot to United. I said, no, it's actually the, the, the console is actually in the residence of Phil Maloof, who's a part owner of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, I had no idea that this thing had been had had not been moved to the new arena. I would have gone through the rest of my life thinking 
oh, they just moved it. No, it's in somebody's house now. Uh, anyway, pipe organs, amazing. Save them. Yeah, I mean, it's a magical instrument, and that's what we want to ask you up next. What musical instrument simply mystifies you? It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In case you missed it, just under about 10 minutes ago, this is the beginning of Iris Dick's report yesterday. In this small stucco building is a sensational sound. So Iris's story is on pipe organs. There's a small but dedicated group of people in Manitoba trying to keep the music alive. And that led us to the question that we have for you this morning. What musical instrument mystifies you? Pipe organ is one for me. I, just the idea, like, how would you even ever come up with that? Like, uh, I'm going to stick a g- series of gigantic tubes and hook it up to this thing and that that and push the, the, the keys and it makes this no- the beautiful noise. I'm going to create an instrument that you have to build the church around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, it's like, like the you can't roll that into, you have to no. build the church around the giant yeah. pipe organ. Yeah. Non-such. When they brought it to Winnipeg, sure. they had to build the around building it. around it, yeah. right? So same idea. So what is, that's the question. What musical instrument mystifies you? Whether it's just an instrument that you love to listen to or whether it's one where maybe you were on vacation and you just happened upon some street performers playing some unique instruments like uh the steel drums anytime i see this i rarely get to see them but whenever i see them i just can't help but stop and smile and take in the magic of this mysterious instrument like how would you I don't know how I don't know how people come up with these things. So 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about a musical instrument you love for a chance to win tickets to see Dog Man the Musical, the live stage production. Greg, why don't we start with you, sir? Well, I love the drums. I, I played the drums from when I was about five years old, and then my mom hated the drums, so I wasn't allowed to play the drums anymore because <laughs> they're very loud. And uh, one of my dad's uh, friends told me once upon a time, you should learn. If you're not going to play the drums, you should learn how to play get the feeling by playing on pillows, something to hit against. Well, lo and behold, that's how Dave Grohl learned how to drum because he wasn't allowed a drum kit when he was little either. And then I went to Chicago for the first time in 1998 and I heard and saw this. These are, oh, just, yeah. these are just plastic... It's about five of them. It's the famous Chicago Bucket Boys, and there are groups all over Chicago. You'll see them in New York as well. I got that uh, audio from Traveling Tyler on YouTube, and just I saw this in 1999. I thought, I should have bought more buckets. <laughs> I could have made a drum kit out of buckets. Pots and pans. Unbelievable. Wow. Pots and pans would probably be louder than drums, would yes. they not? Well, that's the point. Let's ask Forche's. <laughs> we should get Forche's mom on the line. It sounds like she had to live with that for a few years. Yeah, she did. <laughs> uh, Cam, what about you? Uh, well, this this actually came up on my YouTube feed uh, like last week, and it always leads me to wonder what the heck am I watching on YouTube that stuff like this comes up. Uh, but it's called <laughs> the Carnix, and uh, it is an Iron Age Celtic uh, war horn. <laughs> And I imagine like I'm a, a Roman legionnaire in a box formation leading up, you know, facing off against some some 
Celtic enemies as I'm trying to conquer their land and expand the Roman Empire. And I hear this. You want to go for a nap? I can picture a cam with it's his, summer frightening. Feet, his summer summer frightening. feet frolicking in the forest. Takia. Getting ready oh to take God. down an eagle. Oh. I've looked up. Just look up the carnyx. What an amazing looking instrument. Yeah, it's like this long tube leading up to a head. And this one that's you're hearing right now that I'm talking over, but uh, it leads it had like a horse head and it had a tongue uh, hanging out of this horse head that you know the sound comes out of. And it was actually the the tongue actually moved with the with the vibrations oh, of the horn. Oh neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like check a it out. you blow through it? Yeah. Yeah. How does it make the different noises like that? I don't know. Magic. I don't know. <laughs> Celtic magic. There we go. A musical instrument that mystifies Cam. The Carnix, a Celtic Iron Age war trumpet from 80 to 200 AD. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? I'll let the sound speak for itself, but I'm pretty sure you'll know, you'll know what it is. Yes. Just the harp. I just love it. It's so angelic, so peaceful, and I could listen to it all day. I haven't seen someone play it live, but... Oh really? Love, no, never. So if someone knows where someone is playing, you gotta playing go to the harp, symphony. <laughs> I, I'm there, gotta get a ticket there. The WSO. Yeah, they've so got peaceful. they've got a harp. Who is it? Who is it that asked the question? Popular culture. Why, why why don't they just build the harp on an angle? Why do you have to tilt it back and lean yeah. it on your shoulder? Why don't they just build it that way? <laughs> so true. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about some of these instruments too, like transporting them. Oh. Has Maybe. got to be a nightmare. Um, and comfort playing them. Like the harp, you lean back. Yeah. The flute is so light, but you have to kind of have your yeah. shoulders up. The mm-hmm. violin, you're hunched. Like it's just, yeah. it's like Another we put. Nestle it between your neck and your your chin and your shoulder. They, they come with spit valves, like the trumpet and stuff <laughs> like that, to empty out your spit. It's just bizarre. Uh, I did all, but. Mm-hmm. What, about, what about you, Loren? Okay, so I actually love this instrument as a at face value, and I, and I, I just don't understand. It kind of creeps me out. Like, I don't understand why this was invented. And I don't mean the piano. So playing piano? I mean the player piano. Yeah. Like, I, it just seems like a bizarre thing that someone made all this time to play something that you, to create something that you don't play yourself. And every, I did a story on these years ago and this guy in Winnipeg has like 12 of them in his house and he repairs them and they're all over the place. And it sort of just, it's just a it sort of has this creepy feel to it. I don't know if that's because of ghost, horror movies. I just don't get, piano? I just don't get why the ghost piano was created <laughs> instead of just someone learning to play it. Maybe it's because of all the fights in saloons and they were oh, tired yeah. of the piano player getting killed. Yeah, <laughs> getting it. bottles broken. Over, yeah. It was about it's the original outsourcing, the original AI. <laughs> Playing her piano. And uh, Forte, what about you? For mine, well, like, at first I was thinking maybe the didgeridoo, just because it's uh, it's fun to say and it's a <laughs> weird <laughs> instrument. Yeah, exactly. But I'm going to go with the thongophone. And if you don't know what that is, I actually saw this in uh, Chicago as well. I went and saw the Blue Man Group, and it sounds something like this. So it's PVC pipe. And the guys have paddles, and they hit the top of the, like, the opening of the pipe. And the pipes are all different sizes, and you get this weird sound. And it's called a thong phone Yeah, I'd look it up. <laughs> thong phone Be careful, though. <laughs> We're asking you about the musical instruments that mystify you. What does uh, Cheryl say? 
bagpipes. Whoever thought of taking animal skin and being able to inflate it and make music is a level of creativity or boredom that is incredible. Great point, Cheryl. You know what we should do with this cow stomach or whatever stomach it is? Probably came from some kid who just like put it on his face and was like, ah, look at me. And then it made some weird noise. And they're like, hang on, hang on. You're on to something. You're on to something. Do it let's, again. let's figure this out. <laughs> I'll never, ever disparage bagpipes or a bagpiper. They're, 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 they're tough customers. Oh, mm-hmm. And it's an, a wonderful it. instrument. 204-780-6868, the musical instrument that mystifies you for a chance to win. Tickets to see Dogman the Musical on November 10th. We'll pick a winner at 915. So they're calling for some rain on Sunday. But that might be preferable to the heat that set back thousands of runners during the Manitoba Marathon last year. Yeah, so last year the marathon was actually shut down an hour or two in to the race due to temperatures that soared into the 30s. And I was wondering with all the heat of the past couple of weeks, if there were runners out there who were worried that might happen again, Greg. Yeah, but as we speak, as we sit here this morning, things are looking good, at least for now. For more on what to expect this weekend, we're joined by Rachel Monday, Manitoba Marathon. Rachel, good morning to you. Good morning. How lo- how closely have you been watching the weather forecast over the last several weeks? Uh close. We have uh, a member of our team who's in contact with a meteorologist on a fairly regular basis. Um, About 30 days out, we start kind of taking a look, although we know that uh, forecasts 30 days out aren't really um, very accurate. Uh, But at two weeks out, we really start to take a look at kind of the the 14 to, you know, 20 day window. We will start looking at weather patterns and weather pressure and uh, weather in surrounding areas, and it gives us a better chance of predicting, um, typically uh, predicting what's going to happen on, on event day and gives us a good idea of, of what additional plans we need to make. So as we mentioned, things looking pretty decent for Sunday. How many runners do you have signed up? We're expecting about 8,000 runners on Sunday morning um, through all of our events. So we're very excited to uh, have a great day. Uh, we might have a little bit of precipitation, which sometimes is nice later in the morning. So uh, we're expecting a great morning. Now, as as we mentioned, there's been it's been hot the last few weeks. So have you heard from anybody who said that it's hampered their training for the marathon, just trying to get ready? <clears throat> um, no, actually, we haven't heard that. I mean, certainly there, you know, there is some concern. Um, from some people worried, of course, that it's going to be hot again on race day. But um, in years where we have hot weather in May, that actually is a benefit to our runners. Um, people are still doing their training. Some of them who are running longer distances still have some long runs left to go. And that was one of the things that we definitely took into consideration when we made our choice last year to cancel. Um, last year, you'll recall, we had a very cold spring. We had snow very late. Um, and up to the Saturday before the race, it was cold in Winnipeg. So nobody had been able to run in the heat at all, and no one was acclimatized to it. Um, so we knew that with the heat, the unprecedented heat on that Sunday, that people were not prepared. And with the weather that we've had leading up to the race, basically all through May, um, people have had a chance to run in some heat. So even if it gets warm, the chance of serious medical issues is far less than it would have been last year. So this will be the 45th time that the Manitoba Marathon is uh, is run. Why Father's Day, Rachel? Oh, gosh, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> that is something that was chosen in 1979. 
Um, the marathon was started uh, because there was a fire at the Manitoba Development Center, um, and several of their um, of their residents died. And so John Robertson, who was a reporter with CBC at the time, um, wanted to raise money and help uh, individuals living with intellectual disabilities move into the community. And um, and that's the cause that we've supported for 45 years. So, um, you know, I think you know at the time, you know, I'll I'll say the majority of runners were men in 1979. Maybe they thought it would be a nice way for um, dads to get away from their kids on Father's <laughs> Day morning. Uh, you know, who knows? But, you know, for us, for us, there's a lot of reasons why we stay on Father's Day. Um, it's obviously a Manitoba tradition. Um, there's lots of other reasons that, uh, that work for our partners, such as IG Field and the University of Manitoba, where our race site is. So, um, yeah, so we love Father's Day. We love celebrating with all the runners. And then, of course, all the dads get to go home and have breakfast made for them after they run. So there's, of course, the cause that you mentioned, Rachel. There's the competition. People come from across the country and beyond, to, you know, to race in the marathon. But there's also people who choose the Manitoba Marathon to be their very first marathon. It's And it's it seems to be one of those things that's, I don't know if it's a bucket list item for some, but just describe sort of the emotion that you see on the course, But the, because there's the winners, but then there's the people who are just doing it to, to finish it. And what's that like to watch? Oh. That's the best part of our job, actually. <laughs> um, on race day, whether people are running the full marathon or the half or a 10 or a 5K, um, them finishing whatever distance they've trained for, if it's your first 5K, that can be almost as emotional as crossing the finish line of a full marathon. You know, everybody has a story. Everybody has a fitness or a health story or a personal story that, you know, inspired them to run. Um, and there is definitely, I've talked about it before, an amazing energy at the start line of the event. But when we get to be at the finish line and see people with their arms in the air, um, you know, couples holding hands, friends crying and hugging each other. Uh, you know, we work 364 days a year for one day. Um, and those uh, emotions at the finish line make everything worthwhile. And Rachel, before we let you go, uh, if anybody needs to drive somewhere on Sunday morning, they might run into some roadblocks. So where can people go for information on, say, the route map or uh, information on potential road closures? That's a great question. So that information is on our website at www.manitomarathon.mb.ca. There's a section uh, that's race weekend, and there is a spectator guide, so it does have the closures on there. It will tell you when the first runner and the last runner is coming by, so that will give you an indicator of when the roads will be closed. Um, also, we do have an app that people can download. It's called rtrt.me. And if they search the Manitoba Marathon, they can um, see that same spectator guide, but they can also track runners and see where runners are on the course. And what was the name of that app again? It's rtrt.me. Okay. Rachel Monday, thank you so much for joining us on this. Have fun on Sunday. Amazing. Thanks for having me, guys. And another interesting thing I'm seeing here, and they're frequently asked questions, can I wear earbuds while I'm running? And that's highly discouraged, mm. and it's prohibited for uh, uh, elite athletes because just so you're aware of your surroundings. It's, not, it's for your safety and the safety of those running around you because uh, I know that I could never go for a run without music. I need that music to drive me. Although when you're surrounded by thousands of people, that should be motivating enough, I imagine. I did the 5K of this marathon. I don't know when it was. Barely survived. And uh, the people surround you only drive you for so long. <laughs> <laughs> 
fair. I was gonna say, like, like, I think I'm gonna, like, and the worst part is they filmed it for some sort of promo for TV, and I was like, please never put that on air. It's just a wet, red blob just working my way down the street. It was awful. I don't need earbuds for one song. Small Town Salute, and yes, the segment is called Small Town Salute, but it's really just an excuse to cross the borders of the Perimeter Highway to discuss something exciting happening outside of Winnipeg. And today we head a little north of the city to the city of Selkirk, because for the second time this year, the community's Eveline Street has picked up a nifty award. Oh, uh, don't have enough nifty in our lives, Brett. Uh, the reconstruction of seven blocks of the street in downtown Selkirk has won the 2023 Transportation Association of Canada Small Municipalities Achievement Award. The other finalists up for the prestigious award were the City of North Vancouver and Kamloops, BC. Okay, so we're joined now by Dwayne Nichols, CAO for the City of Selkirk, to tell us more. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so I think most people can say where Selkirk is. They know that. But if I come into Selkirk, where is Eveline? Or Evelyn? Eveline. Eveline. Where Eveline, is, yeah. Where that's, is that's Eveline? That's how, we, that's how we know when you're, when you're from Selkirk or not. <laughs> uh, so which direction would you come from? Number 9 Highway or 59 Highway? Let's say 59. Great. So you're going to come over the historic Selkirk Bridge. And the first street that you, you uh, interact with is, is Eveline. So what did this award entail? What were the criteria, Dwayne? Well, the, the award is uh, really about innovation and transferability of, of uh, the, the project. And so we, when we talked about for our, for our award uh, submission, really, you know, road reconstruction is a relatively simple uh, process. When we looked at uh, Eveline, the, the condition of the road was, uh, was, was in quite poor condition. It was one of the, the worst streets in town from 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 a construction standpoint, but also because it's such an old historic street, the the uh, the actual design, the layout of it, the 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 infrastructure that it used was all out of date, and so we were able to modernize the street using modern accessibility standards, um, and then use some innovative technology like silva cells, which uh, support the, the the growth of trees on street the street trees, and then also connecting. Because it's a, a, a densely populated area, densely uh, uh, constructed area, lots of cement, a lot of pavement, we were able to capture some of the rainwater from buildings and feed that into the trees to improve the, the stormwater management on the street. So we also uh, were recognized for the amount of citizen engagement that we, we had during the project, making sure that we were taking into account the, the use of the street, but also talking to citizens about the changes that were going to happen and the benefits of those changes. So, Dwayne, tell us what has the, you know, you mentioned the engagement. What's the reaction been to these changes? Has it resulted in more engagement, more people interacting with the street, so to speak? Well, and, you know, obviously in the beginning during construction, it's a lot of frustration because it's an interruption of daily life. But um, but after that, now, you know, the street is, is effectively finished now. Lots more pedestrian traffic on the street, a lot more foot traffic, a lot more people using benches. There's people out uh, using their scooters or riding their bikes on the active active, uh, multi-use pathway. So it's it's really being adopted by the citizens. We, you know, I use that street every day to get to work and seeing people sit on the benches in the mornings, talking with their neighbor. It's really making that, it's creating that uh, uh, placemaking location that we we wanted this to be. Go ahead. It may not be going back to the original look 
because you've added all these changes, Dwayne, but I'm curious if it's more about getting back to that original feel, because I think too often we look at roads as these tools to get to places as opposed to places to be. And when you actually see and hear people there, that must feel pretty good. Yeah, it's really fantastic. You know, we have these old turn of the century photos of Eveline Street because it is the historic street. We had the, the uh, uh, Selkirk to Winnipeg uh, electric trolley along the street. We have an old photos of locomotives down the street. And there's already street trees and lots of foot traffic on, on this historic street. So really what we're doing is we're just returning the street to its intended purpose, turning the street back to people. Um, we have more people moving into the downtown the, the Manitoba Métis Federation is building a six-story uh, building right at that intersection of, of Eveline and Eaton, so right across from the bridge. Um, so there'll be people living in the downtown, walkable to to uh, multiple uh, drugstores, grocery stores, restaurants. So it, it really is just taking the street, bringing it up to modern standards, but returning to its historic purpose, which is that central meeting place, that economic uh, social hub of our community right in our historic downtown so it really is uh, an exciting place making opportunity and you know we we see all of the the business storefronts in our downtown you know 10 years ago there was lots of vacancies there's no vacancies any longer so it really is you know this is a continuation of, of council's vision for a uh, a more vibrant downtown. We've we've made some of these public investments, but the private sector is also investing, and people are adopting the downtown as as the place to come and be. So it's really exciting, and it's all connected to our waterfront. So on Canada Day, we have about ten thousand people in and around the waterfront area come out to see our fireworks and our concerts. And so it's um, we we just finished a, another concert on our waterfront uh, this past weekend. Tons of people coming out using their riding their bikes walking with strollers and and people using uh, wheelchairs for mobility uh everything is now fully accessible so so it just uh it's an inviting place but it's also an accessible place uh, an accessible place an inclusive place for people to come in and just enjoy being neighbors so you've got two awards this year now the 2023 transportation association of canada small municipalities achievement award you've also got the 2023 association of consulting engineers companies of manitoba award of excellence in transportation and uh, i'm kind of curious uh, you got any advice for winnipeg well you know i think winnipeg is doing a lot of really great things it's just that they have a lot more area to cover that over um i'm not i'm not uh going to offer any advice necessarily to administration or council of winnipeg but i, I what i would say is is that we need to change and all municipalities kind of need to change their mindset a little bit. We, if we really want to see people uh, using these spaces, if we really want to build stronger, more vibrant communities, and, and especially in our downtown cores, it's about people. We have to plan for people, not necessarily cars. Cars are great to get you there. Um, uh, however, that's not the only means. And, you know, start with having people there already. So, you know, our focus has really been about making da- the downtown safe, more inclusive, more accessible and making it really easy for people to live in the downtown because the services are all there and it's it's working it's we're seeing that success so so i think it start with people design for people that's the you know if we focus on that we think about the historic use of streets it's not about making it so that cars can go as fast as possible it's about making it for a, a place where all people can come get, get connected to to services to to other people to to uh, uh to to green space all of that kind of thinking but focus on the people's needs, not necessarily the vehicles. Very well said, Dwayne. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on this. This is great. 
But thank you very much. Dwayne Nickel is the CAO of the city of Selkirk. And if you want to read more about this achievement, go to myselkirk.ca to learn more about the city of Selkirk, where it all comes together. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Morale is at an all-time low. That's the message from some doctors at Grace Hospital this morning after learning their staffing concerns were ignored by government months before they decided to go public about their worries over patient safety. So not only have they been unable to hire a single doctor to work the overnight shift on one of their busy wards, a series of emails obtained by CJOB through an access to information request showed that the health authority asked government for help last fall And Greg, that request went unanswered for months. I feel like we talked about this a few weeks ago, several months ago. In fact, Loren, like, I remember it. How did we get here? Okay, so you may recall back in March, there was a group of 45 doctors that penned a letter sharing their concerns with the overnight situation on the inpatient medicine ward at Grace. These are internal medicine doctors. And on this ward is where they treat non-surgical patients. So someone who had a heart attack, pneumonia, kidney failure, COPD, ex exacerbation, they'd all be on this ward. And it used to have a resident doctor working the overnight shift, but that position was taken away about a year ago. So they had about 100 patients with serious issues left with no dedicated doctor at night. For months, they worked to find a solution and nothing changed. So in March, these doctors sent a letter directly to the health minister and shared it with us. In it, they noted critical incidents were on the rise. They alleged patient safety was severely compromised, and they even said some staff members were uncomfortable working there. The day we received that letter back in early March, we were told that a solution had already been put in place. Three people were going to be hired along with a dedicated overnight doctor, and Health Minister Audrey Gordon insisted it had all been taken care of. I'm told is that the WRHA approved additional physician resources and supports for the Grace Hospital. I'm also aware that they have been given the go-ahead to hire a hospital medical officer. So it's a matter of hiring into those positions and getting those positions fully staffed and filled. Well, guess what? I I have two doctors at Grace who spoke to me on the condition of anonymity yesterday. They say the position that overnight doctors to this day remains unfilled. They only had one person apply. That applicant, they say, was unqualified, and only one of those three clinical assistant positions have been filled. And while they wait, patient volumes remain high, patient safety, in their words, is still concerning, and staff are simply, quote, burned out. And adding insult to injury, this is a situation they've been trying to fix for almost a year. Asked to create new positions went almost all the way up the chain, at least as far as the deputy minister's office last fall. And yet it wasn't until late February these positions were even approved, Greg. Okay, so you've had these conversations with these doctors. What else do you know? What else have you learned? So after they went public with their concerns in March, uh, we filed an access to information request and found through a series of emails that a briefing note was sent by the WRHA to Manitoba Health around August, September of last year. Then in November, Dr. Joss Reimer, Chief Medical Officer of the WRHA, she sent an email to Mike Inader, who's the CEO, again with a proposal to fix the situation. He sent that proposal in an email on to the Deputy Health Minister, Karen Hurd, asking for support. There was no response to that request. That was November. And then finally in February, another email again from Dr. Reimer saying the patient volume was higher, that the situation needed urgent action. And that proposal was resubmitted and finally positions were approved again months after the first ask went in. And so my question this morning, one of many, is if they had moved quicker on this file, would Grace still be in this understaffed situation? 
All right. So what is the WRHA saying? Like, what's the health minister, the deputy health minister saying? Why did it take so long for these positions to be approved? No surprise. I asked several times for both the of the authority and the minister's office for someone to join us. Those requests were denied. But in a statement, the WRHA made it clear that all requests for new medical positions, they have to be approved by Manitoba Health. So they needed that government approval to even get one new job added to Grace. That's why the timeline matters. And as the emails show, this was flagged to Manitoba Manitoba Health last September. And then a direct request for funding went in November, but the WRHA did say in a statement, quote, no response was received from the department regarding the initial proposal or any follow-ups from the WRHA and shared health. And as for the ministry, my questions to Manitoba Health and the minister's office, when did they first learn about this and why did it take so long for the department to approve less than a handful of positions? And all I got was this statement from Audrey Gordon's office saying, quote, Minister Gordon took action immediately when made aware of the situation in February and ensured additional funding was in place at Grace Hospital for overnight coverage. Okay, so the funding, this feels like semantics and and like the, the, the equation, it's not all adding up in my head. Well, it doesn't add up to me because there was no answer, first of all, to really any of my questions on, on when she knew, when her deputy minister became aware, why these positions weren't originally approved when the ask went in back fall. And more than that, that statement indicates that they're saying she took immediate action once she was made aware. That's not how it sounded to me back in March. Regarding that letter that my colleague referenced, mm-hmm. the, uh, the doctors have specifically asked for a dedicated overnight position. Will you commit to funding for that? Well, my understanding is that the WRHA has approved uh, staff and supports in in the phys- physician category for Grace Hospital. Okay, so what are the doctors saying right now? Well, they're frustrated. They're feeling undervalued. They're feeling ignored. Uh, they continue to search for this dedicated overnight doctor. The temporary fix is to have the physician tied to the ICU on call. So they get pulled in on a case-by-case basis. But according to one of the doctors, not having this overnight physician isn't safe. He says it doesn't provide the minimum standard of care, let alone high-quality care. And another doctor I spoke to said they've actually had one of their colleagues, a doctor, quit over this whole situation. And in his words, morale has never been lower. We're talking about less than a handful of positions. We're talking about one doctor. And here we are one year later. And they're feeling overwhelmed. Smackling McGarry and McNabb. We have tickets to give away to see Dogman the Musical coming to Winnipeg November 10th, Centennial Concert Hall. Big, big stage show based on the super popular series of books for kids. And we're asking you in honor of the story that Global's Iris Dick brought us about pipe organs in Manitoba. What's a musical instrument that mystifies you? We had lots of votes today for the theremin. I hope I'm saying that right. I think you are. That weird instrument where you don't actually touch it. Sounds like this. So there's a guy standing over top of this thing and there's like a, I don't know if it, it looks like a giant tuning fork maybe. He's got his hand sort of hovering over it and his other hand is shaking over another thing. You don't touch anything. It just... Hmm. It's, I don't, Plays off uh, distance and uh, proximity and our electro natural electromagnetic field or something goofy like that. I want to hear Harlequin played on the theremin. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Thinking of you on the theremin request. It's actually quite lovely. That was really lovely. It's often used in creepy, like I was it go- say spooky. Ghostbusters used it in their library scene. Uh, so when oh. you use this instrument, it can be used to very spooky effect. It's just a spooky instrument. Like, 
You're not touching it. Now, based on uh, slamming this TV show for years uh, on the air, uh, Big Bang Theory, I think there's an episode where Sheldon plays the theremin. Oh, if yeah? I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Okay, that makes about sense. Yeah, he, Sheldon would probably also like this. Andy suggested the Floppotron. It, it uses floppy drives, hard drives, and scanners to make music. And he sent us a link to a video, the Floppotron 3.0. This is the final countdown. So this is a series of floppy disk drives, dozens of them. <laughs> they're, they're all loading up, and the, these are dot matrix printers, I think. Maybe not. I don't know. Scan- <laughs> no, these are scanners. <laughs> but somehow somebody figured out how to program all these machines to fire up and do things oh, to make music. Magnificent. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it's like, was that a scene in a show? I'm going to probably be pulling this from the office where just the little sounds will remind you of a tune. Yeah. Like your, your chair makes a noise. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're just like, love me, love me, say <laughs> you love me. Yeah. So that's probably what happened here. But yeah, hundreds of, of hard drives and floppy disk drives that's and neat. scanners. So yeah, <laughs> kudos to whoever came up with that. Human ingenuity, that's, that's how you come up with these instruments. And that's what leads Loren to our winning entry from Cheryl. This came in early this morning and it made me laugh. Cheryl said, bagpipes, whoever thought of taking animal skin and being able to inflate it and make music is a level of creativity or boredom that is incredible. And I was like, Cheryl, great point. Animal skin. I love the bagpipes. I'm not putting them down. But whoever was sitting around a fire hundreds of years ago was, you know, whoa, 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 before you toss that, yeah, let's blow into it. Yeah, I'm gonna blow it. Yeah, I'm gonna blow it up like a balloon, <sighs> or put it on my face like Hannibal Lecter. Silence <laughs> of the lambs, and then music came out of it. If you can recreate in the air tonight that 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 uh, iconic drum solo with kitchen cabinets, you know, come on, like uh, bagpipe is just you know natural progression. So, Cheryl, congratulations. Thanks for the laugh. One of our colleagues with whom we speak regularly has a challenge for you to climb. You must climb. And it's all to help make dreams come true for sick kids in Manitoba. So the idea... Hurts less when you add that last part in, Brett, the idea that it's for for sick kids in Manitoba. It's called the Rising Tide Challenge, and it starts right here in Winnipeg, in our building, 201 Portage. And then later on, we'll move to Whistler Blackcomb Mountain. The person spearheading this is our friend and colleague, Grant White of Endeavor Wealth Management. And Grant, it's great to have you in the studio this morning. But Loren, I want you to ask the first question because it was a profound one. And I think maybe the most important question we will ask this morning about how, how Grant got to, up here to see us it's this morning. It's the most important thing I'll ask all week. <laughs> You're challenging people to climb stairs. Did you take the stairs to us this morning? Uh, and I knew you were going to ask that. And, and yet, here we are, Grant. I took the elevator today. Oh. You know, I... <laughs> I don't even know what to say. What floor are you on? Nine. You're on nine. We're yeah. on the 30th. That would have been a hike, but the point here, my I, friend. I have done it before, but I didn't do it this morning. Yeah. Like we count on you to see the future when it comes to the business <laughs> and what's going to happen in the markets. Yeah. And you, you couldn't foresee Loren asking you this 
basic question, Grant? You know, I always try to say I don't have the crystal ball, and this is another thing. I don't have the crystal ball on these things. You All know? right. So. We've admonished you yeah. enough. Thank you. I think I would, what it boils down I'm to. I'm him later today. Yeah. Have you yeah. taken the stairs? I feel <laughs> terrible. I feel terrible. That'll Thanks. Good morning, everyone. tone from us. Yeah. Have you taken the stairs? Look, I think we're all jealous of your ambition here. I think we're, we're all very envious of the idea of, of, of doing this. So before we get into the physical side of it, what is the Rising Tide Challenge? Yeah, so the, the Rising Tide Challenge was born a few years ago after I met uh, with Andrew Cousy, who's the executive director of the Dream Factory. And, um, you know, the long story short is, um, you know, when you talk to somebody like him and, and what they do on an every everyday basis, you just realize like the, the gifts, the dreams that they make come true for kids. You just, one, there's never a dry eye in the room. And two, you just feel like, God, I'll, I'll open up my entire wallet. I'll do whatever it takes to give, to help you guys in your mission. And um, so after one lunch with him, I just said, we got to do more. And um, uh, I'm always a fan of trying to do something a little bit crazy in hopes of raising awareness and raising some money. And, and therefore, the Endeavor Rising Tide Challenge was born. And we just kind of looked for, geez, what can we do to push ourselves and, and raise money at the same time? So talk about it. What what's what are you doing to push yourself and others, I guess, because I can admonish you, but perhaps <laughs> by the end of this conversation, you'll have the right to phone me and ask me what I'm doing. Yeah. So I came across actually this challenge out in Whistler um, where it's called Everesting. And I mean, Mount Everest Everesting? is Everesting. Yeah. Like as in Mount Everest. Or is Everesting. No. Because <laughs> we're really good at <laughs> that. That seems popular here, but no, it's the exact opposite of that. Uh, so the idea is climb a mountain, uh, the equivalent amount of times to equal the height of Mount Everest. And so I came across this and I thought, you know, I probably, I don't really want to climb Mount Everest, but I wouldn't mind climbing a mountain, the equivalent number of times to equal Mount Everest. And so, uh, which is eight times if you're counting Blackcomb. Uh, so it's eight times up basically. And, um, and I have to do it in 36 hours. So, so that became kind of the, the genesis of the whole like challenge idea. Um, but we really wanted to bring something back to Winnipeg. And, and as you know, there's not too I'm looking across the city from your, uh, the 30th floor here and seeing that, geez, I can see all the way to the stadium. There's not many hills. So we had to come up with another way to bring a mountain climb, if you will, to Winnipeg. And uh, lo and behold, 201 Portage and Harvard uh, uh, Properties jumped right on board with us as well and wanted to uh, do something with us. So there, therefore, we created the stair climb here, uh, the tower climb. Uh, and the goal is, and I'm challenging all Winnipegers, anybody who is willing and able and wanting to help out, to come and on September 8th uh, climb the tower with us. And again, if you go up eight times, that is the equivalent of uh, one Black Home Mountain. Sorry, we have to come and climb eight times. That's the challenge with you? I'll, I'll give you a break, though. You climb the stairs up, mm-hmm. but you can take the elevator down. Okay. All right. So All right. over what period of time do we get to do this? We spread it out over a month or? <laughs> uh, we're, we're talking about a couple hours. I think we can in do it in a couple day? hours. In one day? Oh, come one on. Day. <laughs> one morning, in fact. Yeah, it's on uh, the events on Friday, September 8th. Yeah. The time is 8.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. So do we do this as individuals or is there a team component, like you, a relay? You know, if you're hardcore, you can do it as an individual. I'm going to do it as an individual, but we definitely are open to teams as well. So uh, if you want to do it as a relay, we're uh, we are planning for teams of four. Um, so then that, it's only you only have to go up twice. Um, and then you can do it all together. Um, you can You can structure a team any which way you'd like. But yeah, generally either by yourself or teams of four works really well. Okay, so <laughs> we once in a while, I think about twice a year, we have a fire drill in this building. Yeah. <laughs> and going down 30 flights hurts yeah. the next day. Going down's harder. 
Is it? It does something different to your muscles. It's harder. Tell me it's harder. It's harder. It's harder because you're going down. You have to brace yourself from the impact of the stair going up. It's just, I mean, that's what I'm telling myself. I'm telling you that. Plus with the fire (laughs) drill, it's like a slow plod. Yeah. Right. But you got to wait. You just like. Boom. I feel like, you know, we're like sort of slow elephants just, you know, thundering through boom, 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 Because, yeah, you know, <laughs> there's this crush of people going down. If I was just zooming down the stairs, that might be easier. Yeah. But yeah, that is, I could, I could see that. Yeah. Going up is, it is easier, I think. Okay. I, yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm, I don't believe you, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to program that into my brain as I contemplate participating in this challenge. Now we do have a training program that's being set up as well. So for anybody who wants to participate, we're going to, uh, Brickhouse gym has generously offered to sponsor the event as well. So we're going to do some group training events there. And we do have a training program that I've, I'm doing for the mountain. So we're extending that obviously to our stair climbers as well, which will help out. So you can have a few weeks, uh, lead up time. I did have a year, no, not a year, a month, several years ago where I would climb the stairs every morning from the bottom up. And it, I found it so it was like, if you do anything today, at least I did that. It felt good to finish it. Mm-hmm. But I will say there's something about the stairwell that sucks the soul right out of you <laughs> because there's no view. You can't sell like you're watching TV when you're at the gym. You can't, yeah. the, the phone doesn't work in there because it's like a bunker. Like there's nothing to do but stare at those p- pinky beige walls. Yeah. And so how do you train for that? Because it's, it's, it would be unlike anything. It's not, not like you're running even a 5k. It's yeah. not like you're doing the 30 minutes on the elliptical or something. You know, I'm doing you're a, just in a hole, like yeah, a bunker. Yeah. I'm doing it blindfolded actually. You should. <laughs> no. Um, you know, what we're going to do is make it the stairwell, as you point out, it's, if on its own is not, it's, it's fine, but it's, nothing it's, wrong with it. Yeah, it's, a it's, it's fine. It's a stairwell. Um, but you know how Disney makes lines like really fun and entertaining. We're going to try to do the exact same thing on this. There's going to be uh, break points along the way with different themes, and we've got different sponsors who are going to you know like create a kind of a bit of a party atmosphere. The 12th floor in particular, it's uh, it's actually a wide open floor right now, so we're going to make that a really fun space. Like a food truck there. <laughs> Stop at the food. <laughs> There'll truck be food. Uh, yeah, like are you spo- you should sponsor the whole the floors like they sponsor the holes at golf tournaments that's kind of the idea yeah there's a few floors that are going to be sponsored and uh they're gonna they can make it their own have a theme going on there might be a little bit of a rave kind of scene going on somewhere i don't know but it's going to be fun we're going to make it very entertaining so it's not just a beige stairwell that's yeah you've really thought this out yeah now i remember as a kid watching every year on ctv wad world of sports they would have the race to the top of the CN Tower, mm-hmm. 1,766, 1,776 steps. Yeah. How many steps is it? Do you know uh, for the oh, for the floors here? I no? don't know how many steps. It's 420 feet. 420 yeah. feet. Okay. Roughly, yeah. So we're going to do that eight. Yeah, I don't know. Man. <laughs> and the record for that, by the way, is seven minutes, 26 oh, seconds. No. Come on. To go from, from street level to the top of the CN Tower. That's impressive because I did the stair climb here and it took about seven minutes um, just doing this. So that is really impressive that somebody did the CN Tower. That was 752 in 1989. Impressive. Yeah. Okay. So the event here is Friday, September 8th. But then soon after that, you're heading out west to continue your climb to the aforementioned Whistler Blackcomb Mountain. That's right. Yeah. September, the weekend of September 23rd, I believe. Um, And I have 36 hours to complete eight climbs of that mountain. Eight climbs of the mountain? I don't know how I missed that part. I heard eight climbs of the stairwell, but eight climbs yeah. of the mountain. Do you have an elevator to take you back down the mountain? So I do get to benefit. The gondola does the bring gondola. me down. Yep. Yeah, so it's like, again, you climb up, gondola down on that one. But Okay, so how does this compare? I'll have to look it up. Then the grouse grind. 
Oh, so, so uh, North Vancouver, right? You have Grouse Mountain, and a lot of people do the Grouse Grind. I think it's about double. I, mm. About double. Don't quote me on that, but I think so it's about 16, double. So 16 Grouse Grinds. Yeah. Yeah, like okay. That. This is putting it into perspective for a lot of people. I, I know you, you're all you're about empowering others and also mm-hmm. helping people and, and the good work that you're doing to, to raise money and awareness and all the rest for different organizations, but why you why 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 do you want to do this to yourself? Oh, that's a, such a great question. I mean, I think I'm always about like empowering others, as you point out. Um, but one of the things is, I think you got to live by example, and um, and I try to stress that every day. And so, I think if you uh, hope to help other people do big th- big things in their lives and have big impacts, then you should really try to do the same yourself. And and this is my way of doing it. Um, you know, and it's it's something that's outside my comfort zone. I've never climbed a mountain before. Never. I mean, I've done hiking and stuff like that, but this is a whole new level of that. And so every year I'm trying to push myself to do something like this. Last year I was climbing down the hydro building as part of the drop zone event. And uh, um, and that was something <laughs> that was pretty wild as well. Um, and this year, instead of going down, we're going up. So You can get more information at EndeavorWealth.ca, the Rising Tide Challenge in support of the Dream Factory, which, of course, uh, raises money to help make dreams come true for sick children and their families. The goal is to raise $1 for every foot of Mount Everest's elevation, $29,029, to help those kids experience more memorable moments in their lifetime. So the event here in Winnipeg, Friday, September 8th, and if you want to register again, EndeavorWealth.ca, where you can find more information on the Rising Tide Challenge, led by Grant White of Endeavor Wealth Management. Grant, thanks for popping up to see us. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Take the stairs down, eh? There's no excuse. (laughs) Your pass card works to get you on the ninth floor. We we might have to do this. Yeah, I think we might have to. Or we could greet him on the 30th with like a CGOB mug. That'll really get him up the stairs. Which hole are you going to have sponsored by Torque Brewing? (laughs) Or which uh, which floor? (laughs) Sorry, still thinking in golf terms. (laughs) Third floor, we'll make it easy, you know. It's Mackling McGarry McNabb. Before we say hi to Hal, Greg, you got to read Avery's text message after we played the final countdown as played on the Floppotron 3.0. Well, I was wondering when I started reading this, what did we say? You know, you people should be liable for the things you say and put on the radio. Do you know how long it is going to take to get the damn final countdown out of my head? A plague on all your houses. May all your houses be knocked down and may you all be knocked down and not get up again. Yeah, get back down. Come back to what Loren said earlier. (laughs) Let's say hi to Hal, host of Connecting Winnipeg. Hi, Hal. Morning. We're going to talk Manitoba Marathon, which of course is coming up on Sunday. Sunday is Dad's Day. I want to talk to... Uh, Carolyn Classen after 11.30 from Connexus Counseling about sending the right message to dad. Wait till you hear what a dad on TikTok did <laughs> to send a message to his family. Got to pay tribute to dad on Sunday. Loren McNabb, co-host of The Start, will join me. Grace Hospital needs an overnight doctor. Why don't they have one yet? Who knew what when? Uh, we'll get into that at about 10.15 this morning with Loren. We're also going to talk to the Manitoba Running Association about running because it is Manitoba Marathon Day on Sunday. We're also going to talk to the executive director of the Rady Jewish Community Center because tonight at the Sea Bears game, hate is not welcome here. And uh, this initiative is going to appear at a bunch of games in Winnipeg. It begins tonight at the Sea Bears game. Rob Berkowitz will join us from the Rady Jewish Community Center World 
Elder Abuse Day today, Awareness, World Elder Abuse Awareness Day today. Lots of winning, all that coming up right after the news at 10 here on Connecting Winnipeg. Thank you very much, Hal Anderson. He's on from 10 until 12 on Connecting Winnipeg, and that's all the time we've got. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and producer Jeff Forte and Master Control. This one is for you, Avery. The final countdown ahead of Global News at 10 on 680 CJOB. Yeah!